Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, Before we dive into the book of Matthew and our topic for this morning, I want to uh, take a minute to let you know about some things that are coming up around here because the rumor is that summer is coming. I'm not sure that anybody has told the skies that summer is coming, but in theory, summer starts on Tuesday. Uh, and, and so actually the weather report looks like summer is coming right on time, which apparently is just not as early as all of us would have liked it to. But here it is. And uh, we want to let you know some things that are coming up this summer. Uh, starting next week, we're going to kick it off with a barbecue on Saturday. A group of youth are hosting us as a church at Riverfront Park. So in from Riverside, Riverfront is a whole different thing. Riverside Park. That's the one that's here in town. Anyway, uh, more information, the correct information, everything spelled right, all those things in your bulletin. So please uh, check that out. Uh, Fast forwarding to the end of summer, and then we'll work our way backwards. Uh, At the end of summer, we are having our Bapstravaganza out in our back parking lot, and we are very excited about that. It is one of the highlights of our church year Every year, we are going to celebrate people being baptized, making that public commitment to say, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I am recognizing that I need Jesus to be my Lord, to be the leader of my life, and that I'm in need of uh, his forgiveness. Jesus told us to go into the world and tell people all that he has commanded us to and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we love to do that. It is not until the very last Sunday of August, but we are saying it now, not only because we're so excited about it, but because if you or somebody you know is interested in getting baptized or has questions about that, we would love to start that conversation now. So if you could reach out to me uh, in the next couple of weeks, that would be fantastic. And if you just have questions, please, by all means, reach out. I promise there will be no sales pitch or push. I just want to answer questions um, and, uh, and be excited with you if you are interested in getting baptized. Also, at the end of August, um, we believe, barring unforeseen circumstances, that uh, an actual in-person VBS is back this year. So keep an eye out for that coming up at the end of August as well. Sometime between now and then, we would like to see the outside of this building get painted. Not because this building in and of itself is anything so remarkable or special as to deserve a new coat of paint, except that we believe that God is doing good things, great things inside this building and inside the people who gather here. And we would like the outside of the building to reflect that. And we've been saying that for a number of years now, and we think we're ready to uh, hit go on that uh, financially, people-wise, timing Weather, hopefully, eventually, all of those things seem to be lining up for us to be able to do it this summer. With that, a small caveat. Me being the project manager for this thing is not anybody's idea of the most efficient and best way to do this. Would it still happen? Yes. Could it happen better if one of y'all's brains was in charge of it? Most definitely. So uh, if we're, we're looking for a couple of different roles that could be the same person, could be different people. One would be somebody to help with the acquiring of paint, getting the right amount of it and all those things and the tools, uh, checking out our closets and sheds and those kinds of things and figuring out what we have and getting more of it, all that kind of stuff. The other role is for somebody to be here on the day that we're painting and pointing at people and saying, you paint this there. And um, again, could be the same person, could be different people. If you feel like you could be either one of those people, boy, would I love to hear from you. So please uh, reach out about that too. Um, If we can get all that lined up, we will do that project um, and uh, bond this summer as a church with as many of us out there as possible, uh, painting the building and there'll probably be some teenagers painting each other, but mostly painting the building. Uh, so would love to get that uh, going. And I'm not giving them ideas. They already would have thought of that. Um, and uh, 
rewinding all the way to the beginning of summer and where we find ourselves today. One, as I said earlier, it's Father's Day, which just as a side note, if you took a, a very important side note, if you took a baby bottle on Mother's Day or sometime since to fill it with change and dollar bills to support Caring Pregnancy Center, those are due back today. And while I'm sure there's all kinds of jokes we could make about being past due dates for Caring Pregnancy Center, we really do need those bottles back. So if you could bring them back, please, ASAP. Uh, that would be fantastic. And if your bottle is empty, that's okay. There's a little walk of shame. We'll have you, no, I'm just kidding. Just please bring it, bring it back. They would like that back as well, even empty. And then next weekend, as I said, Saturday, uh, we'll kick off summer with that barbecue. Next Sunday, um, actually starting next Saturday night, for those of you who don't know, we have a Saturday night service at 6.30 that's been meeting downstairs, but will this summer be meeting up here, uh, just like y'all. So if you're thinking, boy, we're taking off on vacation early Sunday morning, uh, Saturday night, 6.30, you could still be here. Starting next Saturday night at 6.30, this room is going to look a little different rather than being in rows of chairs. We are going to bring some tables in here and we're gonna gather around tables for the summer. And hopefully that will make more sense as we go through it. But mostly just wanted to warn you that that was happening so you don't walk in next week and freak out on me. So uh, tables to gather around uh, next summer, uh, look each other in the eyeballs, have some conversations. Um, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll do that this summer. Just heads up for that. Okay, so next weekend, Barbecue, tables for church, summer kicking off. This weekend, we want to wrap up our series uh, called Next Steps. Um, we've been talking for the last number of weeks about becoming the church and the individual disciples that we believe God is calling us to become not just because these are some cool ideas, but because we believe that as we look at scripture, these are the kinds of things that Jesus calls all of us to, that we are called to be healthy, Christ-formed people who gather together in a Jesus-centered way in big groups and small groups, who have a missionary mindset where we're looking out into our community, looking around our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and asking the question, how can I be intentional about forming relationships with people who don't know Jesus, forming relationships with people who do, and intentional about loving the people around me well. And then last week, we talked about how our growth as an organization and our growth as individual disciples is in some ways linked to how we view the purpose of money. Now that may feel like it's a totally different subject, but as we're engaging with the world around us, with this sort of Jesus-centered missionary mindset, how we use and see the currency of this world is going to matter. And one of the currencies of this world is actual currency, it's, it's money. Maybe the other most significant, maybe even more significant currency of this world and of the church and how God has set things up is relationships. And so we wanna land in what may feel like kind of a strange place this week in talking about healthy conflict. And we wanna talk about it, not because there's some sort of hidden conflict in the church that y'all don't know about, but we wanna passively, aggressively address it from the, like that's, I've been to those sermons, those are no fun. That is not what this is. This is a great time actually to talk about conflict for a couple reasons. One, because there is no hidden conflict that I'm aware of that we need to passive aggressively address, but also because the last two years have highlighted and exacerbated the fact that we already knew that we live in a divided and fractured society. And it feels like each passing day exacerbates the hurt of all of that. And it shows no sign of slowing down. That the systems we have set up around us to govern us and to entertain us seem structured to continue to push us further and further into our corners and profit off of the divisions in our lives and our relationships. And so as we move forward over the next few years, as we aim to become the people in the church that God is making us into, that he's calling us to be, we're going to have to figure out how we get along with each other and other people when we disagree about things. 
when we have hurts in our relationships? How do we get along with each other in a healthy way? It appears, based on how things go and what we hear, it appears to me that the worst thing that could happen to you in our society today is that you might be offended by somebody else. And I don't even say that tongue in cheek. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. Maybe actually it'd be better said that the best thing that could happen to us is that we get offended by somebody else because getting offended appears to allow us to excuse and justify any number of responses and behaviors. We can overreact and get angry. We can sever a relationship. We can gossip about other people. We can judge and condemn the people around us. We can avoid people. We can simply walk away because we can say, well, but they offended me. Many of us have been hurt because somebody was offended by something we said or did and they severed their relationship with us or they gossiped about us or they in some other way tore us down. And let's be honest, many of us have gotten offended by somebody else's words or actions and we've decided that we just can't engage with that person anymore. And of course, maybe we, we told a few people, you know, how wrong and how awful and mean that person is. Now, we don't usually call it offended when it happens to us. And I don't know if that's just because it's a buzzwordy kind of thing right now or what. We typically don't say, oh man, they offended me. We talk about how they hurt us or how what they said or did was just so unfair. Josh, you don't understand. What they said was just so wrong. It's not that I'm offended. It's just that they make me so angry with their idiotic opinions. Like I just can't deal with them anymore. Josh, it's not that I'm offended. They just made it so personal and it was so unfair to me. I don't doubt that what you have heard and seen and experienced was hurtful and personal and unfair. And I'm not telling you to not be hurt. I'm not even telling you to not be offended. Go ahead and be offended at the things in this world that are wrong, at the lies that we hear, at the things that are unjust and unfair. Those should offend something in us when they don't reflect the kingdom of God around us. The problem is, in the church today, I believe we have made an idol, and I'm not alone in this, I believe we've made an idol out of being offended. Now, what is an idol? Just so we're all on the same page. An idol is really an object of our worship or devotion. And specifically, in Scripture, making something an idol means that we are as devoted to it or more than we are to God. Last week, we talked about money and being devoted to money. We def define devotion as loyalty and love, giving our loyalty and love to something or someone. And when we give as much or more loyalty and love to someone or something as we do to God, we have turned it into an idol in our lives. So when I say that we've turned offense into an idol, I mean that we are more responsive to our feeling of offense than we are to God's direction for our behavior. And for those of you who like taking notes, there's your first one. We're more responsive to our feeling of offense than we are to God's direction for our behavior. 
when we allow the fact that we've been offended to excuse acting in ways that don't honor God, we've shown our allegiance to the offense has overtaken our allegiance to God. Jesus actually covered these directions for our behavior quite extensively and explicitly in scripture. Specifically, he even addresses clearly what we are to do when we are angry, when we are hurt, when we have been offended. So in Matthew chapter five, just for example, Matthew chapter five, starting verse 38, Jesus says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. Pause there just to note. Jesus clearly seems to think that some people or some set of behaviors and actions and words can be labeled as evil. So I don't, I say, don't resist an evil person. Jesus is not trying to diminish the wrong of what that person has done. And he is not in any way diminishing the hurt that you have experienced. Instead of diminishing, what Jesus is trying to do is to elevate the character of our response to what we've experienced. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. This is where that phrase, go the extra mile, comes from. We use it in our culture all the time. People have no idea they're referencing scripture. And when we use it in our culture, we applaud people for going the extra mile. Because what we mean by that is they have gone so far above and beyond expectation in a way that blesses the people around them. They go the extra mile. Jesus is saying that for those of us who have come under his lordship, those of us who say, I'm following Jesus with my life, for the Christian, Jesus says, go the extra mile is the expectation. This is not above and beyond. This is what is expected of us. That when you've been slapped like Chris Rock at an award show, when, thank you, I knew I'd get a laugh from somebody, when... When somebody asks you to bear the burden that is supposed to be theirs to bear and they keep trying to hand it to you, when it's unfair and painful and everything in you wants to run away, Jesus says, in as much as it is in your power, go the extra mile. Don't avoid, lean in. Don't curse, but bless. He continues, verse 42. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? And for too long, the church has tried to not look different from anyone else. For too long, and this is probably its own sermon in and of itself, we have tried to look like the world around us in the hopes that the world around us would want to be part of us because we're not any different than they are. And the world around us has looked at us and gone, that doesn't look any different than what I'm doing, except they're adding some rules that I don't want to follow. <laughs> Why would I do that? And that includes taking our cues from the world in how we respond when we are hurt or offended. 
Oh, oh okay, world. <laughs> you, you think we offend you? You, you think we're in the way of, of all of your progress? No, no, you offend us. Oh, oh, you think you're angry. No, 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 we follow a savior who flips tables. We will show you angry. Oh, you think we're the enemy. We're the ones who are slowing the world down. We're the ones holding everything back. You think we're the enemy. No, no, you're the enemy. And we're gonna tell you over and over again. We even call it a culture war. Like the best way to engage with the culture around us is to call them the enemy and beat them to death with our morality like somehow that is gonna draw them into the unconditional love of Jesus. And Jesus steps in and he says, no, no. I say, love your enemies. Bless those who are against you. Not because they can do something for you, but because when you bless and love the people who are positioned against you and ask for nothing in return, you are demonstrating God's unconditional love for them. By asking nothing in return, by saying, even while you are my enemy, even while you're against me, I'm going to love you, we demonstrate the love of a God who loved us while we were still against him. We demonstrate the love of a God that we, we can't earn that kind of love. Who doesn't ask anything of us in order to be loved by him. We demonstrate the unconditional love of God that we have gotten to experience. And we really wanna justify ignoring this command because it's really hard. It just is. It's really hard to love those who are against you. It's really hard to love people expecting nothing in return. And Jesus does not expect it to be easy. He doesn't think he's calling us to something easy and simple. He knows he's calling us to something hard. Look at the very next verse, verse 48. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect. Jesus, I'm imperfect before I get out of bed in the morning. Like, what, what do you mean be perfect? Part of the good news of God's love for us and who he is, no one knows just how imperfect you are like God does. And he loves you anyway. Jesus is very aware of how imperfect you are. He knows. And yet he calls us to something so hard. For context, we've jumped into the middle of a teaching or a collection of teachings that Matthew has recorded for us. And if we back up a little bit, we see that Jesus has been talking about just how imperfect we are and how our attempts to justify our behavior so that we can make it feel more perfect to ourselves just makes the issue worse. So backing up to Matthew chapter five, verse 21, he even specifically addresses how this works with our anger when we're hurt and offended. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, as in, I can't believe how idiotic their opinion is. I can't believe that politician over there that I've never met is such an idiot like that. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. 
In other words, if you have something against someone else, if you're holding on to an offense or judgment, if you're holding on to anger against another person, you are just as imperfect and guilty and in need of the grace of Jesus as a murderer. And we don't like that feeling very much. So we say, no, no, it's not that bad. I'm not angry, I'm just a little frustrated. I know I called them an idiot on social media like six times, but I didn't really mean it like that. And Jesus says, the anger that you're holding onto is such a big deal that you need to recognize you are as imperfect and sinful and as need of grace as a murderer. And we go, that's a little over the top, isn't it, Jesus? And he's being a little over the top on purpose, one, to catch our attention, and two, because it's true, and here's why, because when we hold on to that offense or that anger, we are showing that we are more devoted to the offense and our response to the offense than we are to the directions God has given us. That our devotion is in the wrong place. So here Jesus seems to be talking about our own judgments, our taking offense. And so it's interesting to me where he takes the application of this teaching. In verse 23, next verse, he says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, if you have offended someone else, don't try to square up your relationship with God until you've gone and tried to square up your relationship with that other person. The sacrifices for them were intended to square up their relationship with God, to say, okay, God, I'm recognizing that I messed up, I'm at fault, and, and I'm bringing this sacrifice as a recognition of that and a recognition of your grace and goodness and your love for me. And Jesus says, don't try to square up your relationship with God until you've squared up your relationship with other people. Do you go to them and you apologize for what you have to apologize for? You confess a hurt or offense, an anger that you've been holding against them. Because how are we gonna square up our relationship with God if we're showing more devotion to an offense and an anger than we are to God? That as long as our devotion is not in the right place, how can we come and square up our relationship with Jesus. And I do wanna say that I know not every relationship can be reconciled, can be brought fully back together, fully restored. I know that. Some of you have fractured relationships with people who are not interested in reconciliation. Some of you have fractured relationships with people who are interested in reconciliation, but only on their terms, and their terms are not safe for you to be in relationship with. But in as much as it is up to you, you are called as a follower of Jesus to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation and relationship. And I know that's not in your notes, but I'm gonna repeat it anyway because I think it is so important for us to remember what we are called to as people who are following Jesus every day. Inasmuch as it is up to you and to me, we are called, you are called as a follower of Jesus to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation and relationship. And we say, but, but they won't meet me halfway. Like I'm willing to do something, but they won't meet me in the middle. And we use that as an excuse to walk away. 
But Jesus didn't say, hey, when somebody has offended you, meet him in the middle. Jesus said that we are expected to go the extra mile. I understand that some fracture or tension in your relationship, some hurt has caused there to be a gap between you, some stream or maybe even a raging river of piled up tensions and anger has separated you from this other person. And if you're going to have a relationship with them, somebody is gonna have to build a bridge across all of that hurt and tension. And we say, well, fine, meet me in the middle. And they just won't. And Jesus says, in as much as it is in your power, go the extra mile to build that bridge. Now, they're going to have to do something on their end. They're going to have to put the stakes in the ground to anchor the bridge on their shore. They may have to build a couple of planks out toward you. But in as much as it is up to you, go the extra mile with whatever ability and power you have to meet that hurt and offense head on with love and peace and reconciliation, that is the way of Jesus. And here's the truth for us, church. To become the church that we are called to be. And as much as it is up to you and me, we must become people of peace to become the church that we are called to be. And as much as it is up to you and me, we must become a people of peace. To become the church we're called to be, to become the healthy Christ-formed collection of Jesus-centered disciples that God is calling us to become. As much as it is up to us, we must be people who pursue peace and reconciliation in love in our relationships. And this needs to be true both of people who don't know Jesus and those who do. This needs to be true in our relationships with both. This needs to be true in our relationship with atheists and agnostics and maybe most difficultly with people who go to other churches. And this needs to be true among us. Because let's be real honest with ourselves. In the years ahead, as we are growing to become the people that God has called us to be, we will hurt each other. Not on purpose or maliciously, hopefully, but because that's what happens when humans are in relationship with each other. And I would even go so far as to say, if you can show up to church month after month, year after year, and go, yeah, nobody in my church has ever said something that bothered me or hurt me, or ever done something that bothered me or hurt me, you're probably not leaned in enough to community with other Christ followers. We talked a few weeks ago about having intentional relationships. We talked about three and 12 and 72, if this rings any bells. We've got three people or some very small group of people who know everything about us, but that we have fully revealed ourselves to at least a couple of people. And then we've got a small group of people that we're doing life with. And for the introvert, maybe that's eight or nine people. And for some of you, you're like, I got my 90 and we are taking over the world. Awesome, you're doing life with all these other people. And then we have the large group of people that we belong to. And I, and I would say that for us who say that we belong to East Hills, that 72 is, is us, that's East Hills. And then we have believers, some in this church and some not, and hopefully a couple of people who don't yet know Jesus that we are doing life with every day or on a daily basis kind of way that outside of here, outside of some church program, we're going through the ups and downs of life with other people. And when we're in that kind of relationship, doing life together, humans hurt each other. 
not on purpose, but because it is a truth of our relationships. We will say things in person. We will post things online. We will do things in ignorance that bother and upset and maybe even offend some people around us. And as I've been talking, some of you have thought of somebody in our church that you have some sort of tension in your relationship. That either you suspect you've done something or you know they've done something that has created an offense and a hurt in your relationship. Some of you, not to be self-centered about this, but it's likely that somebody has thought of me and something I have done or said that has hurt or offended. And I'm gonna stop just short of saying I want to hear about it, (laughs) but I need to. And I would love to have you reach out and we'll talk more about how that works in just a second. We need to deal with these things. If we're going to become the church God is calling us to be, we have to actually address these things. And I will confess that when we start talking about engaging in conflict, which is what we're talking about, engaging in a hard conversation, we talk about avoiding conflict, I am chief among sinners here. I hate conflict and I avoid it like the Mariners avoid losing. That's not true. I avoid it like the Mariners avoid winning. That's more accurate and what I meant to say, which for those who have not been following along is a lot. Like they try really hard not to win some days. Anyway, I get that this is awkward and hard to engage in. But the fractures and divisions in the world that we're living in are not going away. And as we do life together, as we go on mission together, we're gonna have to engage in these because avoiding it is simply not good enough. This anger-like murder, when left alone in our relationships, poisons our love for one another. Now, the good news is, that Jesus has given us a step-by-step on how we do this. Jesus doesn't give a whole lot of step-by-step instructions on how to do something, but engaging in a conflict, particularly with someone else who's following Jesus, he gives us step-by-step in Matthew 18. And so I wanna look at that section together this morning. And this section in my Bible is called Correcting Another Believer which I don't like very much and don't really agree with, and is a good time to remember and point out that the section titles were not put in there by the original authors. Those are a publisher's decision. And in this case, I don't like it because of what it could lead to. This section that Jesus is gonna walk us through is not about going up to another believer and going, hey, there's this thing I don't like about you very much and you should fix it. Like, I don't like the way you chew and you should really chew differently. Like, that's not, that's not what this is for, okay? This is for saying, hey, this thing that you did or said or left out, this hurt. And I need you to know. And I need you to know because we're supposed to be on the same team and we're supposed to be accomplishing and going after the same mission together. And I'm finding it really hard to be on the same team as you right now because of this river between us. And we go to them and we go to them with love and humility. We defined love a few weeks ago as wanting somebody else's deepest good, wanting to meet their deepest need. We go for that, not to correct them so it's more convenient or comfortable for us, but because we want to meet the deepest needs and we want the greatest good for them. 
And we go humbly because in another place, Jesus taught us that before we go digging around in somebody else's eye for the speck of sawdust, we better pay attention to the log in our own. And his point in that story, um, sorry, point was maybe a really bad way to talk about a log in our eye. Anyway, really easily distracted this morning by my own words. His point in that story is that before we're condemning somebody else for their sin, we should pay attention to our own because we need to know that if other people have caused hurt in relationship, we better recognize that we have done it too and that we're working on squaring up those relationships before we're trying to pull somebody else back in. That We've gotta do both, okay? So we go in love and we go humbly. Okay, with all that preamble aside, here's the instructions that Jesus gave us. If another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector which we go, well, that seems a little bit harsh. But if someone won't hear your heart or the church's authority, Jesus says, treat them as an enemy to the mission. That Jesus has sent us on a mission to go teach the world all he has commanded us and to baptize them and to love them and to love God. And if somebody is creating division, if somebody won't recognize the authority of the church or the heartbreak in the brothers and sisters around them, they are an enemy to that mission because our mission is to love the world and we put that love on display by how we love each other. And so we treat them as an enemy to the mission, which makes it a really good time to go back and remember How did Jesus say we treat our enemies? What word did he use? Love. We love our enemies. Even if somebody has positioned themselves against us, even if they're an enemy to the mission, we love them. We just don't give them influence, okay? If somebody is an enemy to your family, you love them. You don't give them influence over your family. We would do the same as a church. If someone refuses to reconcile, you love them. You just don't allow them to continue to have the influence in your life, the say in your life that they've had. We do the same as a church. So there may be relationships that don't allow for reconciliation. There may be relationships that don't allow for reconciliation even within our church, but no relationship that allows us to not love. There may be relationships that don't allow for reconciliation, but no relationship that allows us to not love. Pastor Albert Tate said, the worst thing that can happen is not that you be offended. The worst thing that can happen is that you not love well those who have offended you. He said, for the Jesus follower, the worst thing that can happen is not that you be offended. The worst thing that can happen is that you not love well those who have offended you. In as much as it is up to you and me, we must be people of peace. So really quickly, let's walk through these steps that Jesus has given us for creating peace in a relationship where hurt or offense has happened. If you have a pain to address with someone, you start by going to them alone. You go directly to them, you bring up the situation to them. Now I will confess that I often have trouble with this step because I feel like I enter into that conversation and I bumble it and I mess it up and I often make it worse. And so I sometimes have to process what I'm going to say with somebody else. And so sometimes Wendy has to hear all my bumbling and stumbling so that I can go process it with somebody else. Maybe sometimes I will journal it out so I can get all my words straightened out. What I don't do is go to a whole bunch of other people and say, can you believe what this person did to me? You'll notice as we go through these steps that nowhere in here does it say, go tell lots of people so you can get confirmed by lots of other people that you're right. 
Because that really is the point of gossip in this kind of situation where we've been hurt by somebody and we wanna tell everybody else about it. We want other people to know we've been wronged. We want other people to know that we're right. And in any healthy conflict, the purpose is never to be right, it is to get right. In any healthy conflict, within a church, with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids, the purpose is never to prove that you are right. The purpose is to get right in that relationship. And so we start by going to them alone. Before we go to others, before we bring in a whole bunch of people, we go to them alone. If alone doesn't work, we move to going to them accompanied. And if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work to go to them alone, it's likely because that person has denied any wrongdoing or denied and dismissed your feelings, your hurts. Taking somebody with you can address both. It can say, hey, look, man, I know that you didn't mean for it to sound that way, but it really did. And it's not just that they're being too sensitive. Like it really did sound like you insulted like all of us. Or taking somebody along can just give some weight to it to say, hey, no, this really is a big deal to me and I really am hurt and I really need you to hear me. I also do want to acknowledge that there may be relationships where it is not safe for you to go to the person one-on-one or where the power balance may be so skewed that you need to take somebody with you just to balance it out. It may be that in your workplace, to take something to your boss, you take somebody else with you. You may skip step one when it's needed, when it's needed. And then if step two, going accompanied, doesn't work, we go to step three, and that is to go with authority. You get someone who is an authority in your relationship. Now, it may be tempting to stop after step one where you go to them and they dismiss you and you're like, okay, maybe they're right, maybe it didn't really hurt me, but you're still hurt. Or after step two where you're like, ah, I don't wanna get other people involved, like, this is enough. Like, I just, I'm done. We really do want to see a healthy conflict all the way through. Now, maybe that you've said your peace and that brings you peace and you're good to go. That also happens. We don't need to take it through all the way through the steps just for the sake of drama. Like we don't need drama llamas, we're good. We, we can just go, hey, I think I'm good now. We can move forward together. But it's possible that you need to get someone who is an authority in your relationship with this person a parent, a church leader, a pastor, and say, hey, we need to work this out to be able to move forward together. Will you help us? Ideally, this step is agreed upon by both parties. Say, hey, we really need help. We really need to settle this, but, but not always. And I do want to let you know that at that point, within our church, if you need to bring something to church leadership, Our staff is on our website. Our ministry board is on our website. Please reach out. Please say, hey, I wanna be on the same team with this person in our church. And I refuse to be a person who just avoids. Like, it's tempting to go, you know what? I'm just gonna show up to church every Sunday and they're gonna show up to church every Sunday and we're just gonna not look at each other. Like, we just won't look at each other for the next 40 years and it'll be fine. And we don't wanna be people who avoid, we wanna be people who engage in healthy conflict, who deal with it, who become people of peace. And so if you need to bring in some authority to help with that, then please do so. If you do, you will be asked, you will be asked, hey, did you go through steps one and two? And how'd that go? Because we want to do this in the right order and the proper way. So we address it alone and then accompanied and then with authority. So here's what I wanna do to wrap this up this morning. I wanna give us 60 seconds of silence 
to open our hearts and minds to God. And, and it's silly, or maybe this will gross some of you out, but I sometimes find it helpful to actually picture a heart or picture a brain literally like opening up, okay? It just gives a visual to what we're doing. We're gonna open our hearts and minds to God and say, God, is there somebody that I need to reconcile with, that I need to apologize to, that I need to go to and say, hey, this really did hurt. And it really is a problem. And I know 60 seconds isn't that much time. If you need more time, please take it later. If somebody comes to mind, I invite you to write down their name or a nickname or their initials, something to commit them to your prayers and to your actions. And then I wanna pray for us as we step forward. Evaluate what step are you in with this person? What is the next step for the two of you? Father God, would you speak into our hearts and minds and lives? If there's someone you need to bring to mind, would you do that for us this morning? Father God, we open ourselves to you and what you want to do in our hearts and in our relationships. God, would you give us the wisdom to know what next steps to take? Would you give us the courage to take them? God, if there's somebody that we're trying to avoid, would you continually bring them to mind? Would you present us with the directions for our behavior that you have for us? Father, we wanna be more devoted to you and what you're calling out of us. We wanna be devoted to being the people of peace you're calling us to be, more than we're devoted to our anger and our hurt. Father, would you, would you give us the opportunity and the courage to share the grace with others you have shared with us. And may you be glorified as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.